for uh, another time this weekend to hear from uh, Pastor Sam Kim. For those who were not here last night, uh, he comes to us all the way from the wonderful state of Virginia. Uh, he has um, bid adieu for a little bit to his wife, Alice, and his two daughters, Olivia and Natalie, and his puppy, Levi. Um, he has, uh, yeah, he's glad to be away from Levi, the puppy. Uh, and, and that's why he, part of the reason why he feels so bad, uh, leaving his uh, wife primarily behind. But um, pastor at Christ Central Presbyterian Church, um, the former church of uh, Josiah Cha. It is where uh, Pastor Albert is serving as our as the worship pastor. Our former, former um, worship pastor is serving there in that capacity as well. So. Um, I'm not going to give too much more introduction, um, but I know that we will get to know him as he shares his heart and the word of God with us. So round of applause. Welcome him up to the pulpit, Pastor Sam. Good evening, Harvest. Good evening. Good evening. And uh, thank you, uh, DL, for that uh, once again warm and kind and accurate uh, introduction, uh, the newest member of our family. I am no longer the only male in our household, but we adopted an eight-week-old, but now is 11-week-old golden doodle uh, named Levi, and um, he is my wilderness right now, okay? Because if you have a dog, raise the dog. Uh, they didn't tell me that raising a puppy is like inviting a 10-pound squirrel into your home and letting it run free, okay? It can get wild. So this is a renewal and retreat for me, so I don't have to run after our puppy, but we love him, and, uh, um, and uh, yes, uh, I don't know why I'm talking about Levi. I'm here to talk about Jesus, okay? So, uh, <laughs> but I have had a great uh, morning. I had a fantastic time with uh, your house uh, church shepherds, and, and for those who are part of it, and I hope you are, and if not, you will be soon, uh, you are well loved at this church by men and women who deeply love Jesus and because of that, love you. And I consider it a privilege to spend a few moments with them and just to be around them. And again, I, I share with them this morning, uh, this church is so important because there's few like it in all of the country, in my opinion, uh, that really do shepherd to raise up the next generation. As your, as your uh, vision statement, you exist to equip Christ-centered leaders to transform the world. And I really believe that's happening at a house church, one-on-one, life-on-life level. And it's very few churches who have attempted it and have seen fruit, as I, I believe is happening uh, here at Harvest. So I'm an admirer. I, I, I follow the church uh, from afar and up close when I get to visit. And I'm really honored to be here and share the pulpit uh, with Pastor Deal. Um, and we've had a great afternoon. Uh, Wings of Winter Guarded is all I need to say, okay? Um, <laughs> um, and uh, when I come down to Florida, when I, I told my friends in Virginia, because it's, this church is well-known in Virginia, but also Wings is well-known. So when I told my friends, I'm going down to speak at Harvest, they didn't ask me if I was going to Disney. They asked me, are you going to Wings? <laughs> it is uh, actually more well-known, I think, than Disney or Universal or these other attractions. Um, let me uh, pray for us, and then we're going to dive right into our message. Father, we thank you that there is no equal, there is no rival. You have risen, you reign, and you're returning. And also you reside. And that's why we're here, because we are your people. We are, as we heard last night, as Jesus heard, 
at his baptism. We are beloved. And with us, you are well pleased because of Christ in us and over us. And so, Lord, with that being the truth, help us to freely, openly, and honestly listen to you, our loving, good, good Father, who wants to reveal more of yourself to us so that we can be with you and also that we can represent you to the world honestly, openly, and humbly so that others would know that you are beautiful, that there is no other name like Jesus. And so in in your name, I commit this evening, commit this service, I commit every single person, young to old, into your care, to the work of your spirit, speaking and ministering to them tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me open my sermon with a question. Have you ever waited so long, so long for something, that once that something was right within your grasp, a minor delay or a mini detour felt like an eternity? And uh, I share that because uh, Florida has significance for me. Florida, the state of Florida, I lived in Merritt Island uh, from 1996 to 1999, just east of Orlando. And it is, in, it is while I was serving at a mission organization there, I met now my wife, Alice. And I met her in the, uh, in the summer of 1998, and our relationship really uh, took off in 1999. But our relationship was uncommon. Because I was living in Florida, and you see, Alice was living in Toronto and Canada. Our friendship, our relationship, even though we crossed paths for two weeks during a leadership training event in Florida, in Merritt Island, we were long distance the entire relationship. And two years of dating, one year of engagement, we didn't live in the same country. And there were times when I was actually assigned to, 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 to be in different parts of the world, uh, especially in the southern hemisphere, in Southeast Asia and, and southern sub-Saharan Africa, where we weren't even the same hemisphere. So don't cry on my shoulder when your boyfriend is one hour away. You can FaceTime them, okay? I wrote letters that she never received. I, she sent packages that someone else ate and received in Mozambique. And so true. Oh, wow. And so because of the distance, um, we, we just saw each other maybe twice a year for a week or two at a time. And that's how our, our dating relationship uh, kind of blossomed. Uh, and then as, as we got engaged, I moved to Chicago for seminary, for uh, uh, seminary studies. And that was the closest we ever lived. It was about eight to 10 hours from each other. And so for two years, we dated. Long distance, international. We were engaged, long distance, international. And finally, our wedding weekend arrived. And we were married in May of 2001. We got married on a Saturday. The next day, we booked a flight. Uh, We had booked a flight for two weeks in Vancouver in the west coast of Canada. Finally, we were in the same time zone, the same country, the same city. And we're going to spend time together for two weeks uh, on our honeymoon. But right before we headed off to the airport, I was finally going to be with my bride for uninterrupted, undivided time for two weeks. Her father insisted 
that we have one last meal just hours before our flight. I, I humbly just had my reservations known through Alice. Hon, 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 hon. We can have a meal with him after we get back from the honeymoon. But her dad insisted. One last meal with my daughter and son-in-law. We're going to get, you know, my, my parents there. We're going to have one last meal. And we had the meal. And I knew we're cutting it close because it's, uh, you know, we're cutting it close. But it was raining. And when it's raining on a Sunday afternoon in Toronto, and if you've ever, you've ever been up to Toronto on the major 401, there's always traffic normally all the time. But when it's raising, raining, it's, it's 10 times worse. And I remember we were in the backseat of the car. He and, and my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law were driving us. And you can tell he was panicked because he just saw a sea of red lights in front of him. We were going at a snail's pace. And I remember hearing him. I don't speak Korean very well. I, hear, I heard him praying out loud, asking for God to part the cars as if it was the Red Sea, but we were going at a snail's pace. We finally made it to Pearson International Airport. We got to the check-in counter, but we were too late. I remember Alice, she came over to me. She, she, she could tell something was wrong because I was all by myself <laughs> trying to contain all these emotions. <laughs> Alice was like, Sam, uh, uh, speak to my dad. Say something. He feels horrible. Uh, not right now. Not, not right now. I can't, I can't talk to your father right now. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, eventually we were able to rebook. For a flight a few hours later, it wasn't the end of the world, and we were able to catch a flight later on that night. Um, honestly, I wrestled with anger and resentment towards my father-in-law at that moment, but the root of the issue was not his lack of time management, <laughs> but rather it was my self-selfishness, my self-centeredness, and a lack of appreciation for my father-in-law's love, kindness, and generosity, and his lack of time management. <laughs> you see, I use that story to, to, to illustrate I was focused so much on my goals, my desires, my timeline, I actually missed and I failed to see his heart in that offer. This evening at r and on 2019, let me just ask, is there anyone here tonight honestly and personally wrestling with anger, resentment, and indifference towards God? Maybe because it's due to painful disappointments, unbearable delays, just things are not happening. This unforeseen detours. You thought your life would look like this, but how come it looks like this? And in discouraging circumstances. Anyone? 
and as, as a Christian, as one who sang these songs and believes that the word of God is true and have put their faith and trust in Christ uh, at one time in our lives and we continue to try to live by that faith and trust, how do you reconcile the, this landscape of our lives with the detours, discouragements, and delays with a loving, faithful, and a good, good God? How do we reconcile the two if what I'm experiencing, what I'm feeling, what I'm facing is so different than the God I sing about, I hear about, I actually believe in. But because of that disconnect, anger, resentment, bitterness, indifference has creeped in and actually has been a big part of your spiritual journey lately. Let me turn turn our attention to just a few verses in Exodus. So if you would turn with me. Um, to Exodus chapter 13. I'm just, I just have about five or six verses here. I came across this in a, just the time of reading, personal reading, and just, I'm just making my way through uh, the Bible. And I read this a couple of years ago, and, and I was struck by one verse here, which I'm going to read to us all together. So Exodus chapter 13, um, I'll give you just a brief kind of context. The, the, the children of Israel are, have been set free by Pharaoh the, through miraculous signs and wonders, through the leadership of Moses, and they're finally on their way towards the promised land. And it says this in Exodus 13, if you would find it there on your phone or in your Bible, uh, in verse 17. It says this, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Verse 18, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Wow. There was a nearer, shorter path. But wait a second. Am I reading my Bible correctly that God led his own people towards a wilderness and an obstacle like a sea? And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel Solemnly swear, saying, excuse me, God will surely visit you, and you shall surely carry up my bones with you from here. Verse 29, or 20, excuse me, my vision is bad. And they moved on from Sokoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of cloud by night did not depart before, depart from before the people. Wilderness, obstacles, even though there was a way that was closer, faster, nearer. So tonight I'm going to talk about wilderness, a romance that you can only experience by being in the wilderness led by God. So my title of my message is Romance in the Wilderness. And here's the main idea of my message, and I believe the main idea of of maybe why 
we can answer that question or how to answer that question. Why would God allow this in my life or doesn't allow this in my life? And yet I, he's called good. He's called faithful. He is, he's called uh, merciful. He is, he is deliverer. He is almighty. How do I reconcile the two? Let me propose this to you. This is my main idea. I'm going to summarize my sermon in one sentence and unpack it. It's this. God uses the wilderness to reveal himself to us and deepen our dependence on him. God uses the wilderness to reveal himself to us and to deepen our dependence on him. And here are my three points, and then I'm, gonna, I'm just going to preview them and then walk through them one at a time. God sustains us through seasons of wilderness in three ways. Number one, he directs our paths to protect us from ourselves. Secondly, he delivers on his promises in his perfect timing. And thirdly, he dwells within us and leads us by his presence. So the first way that God sustains us through seasons of wilderness is he directs our paths to protect us from ourselves. <coughs> Excuse me. The book of Exodus, just briefly, it, it recounts, again, let me just summarize it in just about 15 seconds. It recounts how God graciously delivers Israel from slavery in Egypt. He, he, he traces their journey through the wilderness and describes in detail the covenant that God makes with them at Mount, makes with them at Mount Sinai. Exodus highlights the supreme faithfulness and the mercy of God while contrasting it with Israel's repetitive grumbling, rebellion, and sin. In doing so, this book of Exodus is actually a condensed picture of the gospel. Simply put, God saves sinners. <coughs> verse 17, the first verse of my passage. Let me just get some water. It must be that uh, honey garlic barbecue sauce that's still lingering in the back of my throat. Read there with me again. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although it that was near. You see, the way of the land was the quickest way from, uh, for Israel to get from Egypt into the promised land. If they take that, taken that route, it should have taken two weeks, not 40 years. The fast, here, here's a lesson, here's a spiritual lesson, I believe, that the fastest and the shortest way is not always the best way. I think a lot of us have deep-seated disappointment in God because the shortest and the fastest way has eluded us, evaded us over and over again. You see it in other people's lives. Hey, that, that, they, they got married quick. They had kids. Their, their careers advanced. Wow, things started going their way. They got leadership opportunities. They, they, they got promoted. What? And there's that resentment, bitterness, and that, that theft of joy. The fastest and shortest way is not always the best way, although it was near. Now, why? 
You see, <clears throat> in verse 17, if you continue to read, it says this, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. You see, even though it was the shortest and the fastest way, there were enemies that the Israelites were not prepared to face. They were slaves for 400 years. Did they see war? No, the, the Egyptians fought the wars for them. And yes, God delivered them out of Egypt. But if God took them that way, which they didn't know about, only God would know that there's Philistines along that route. And if they saw the Philistines, it says this in verse 18, they would have hightailed it back to Egypt. Because they weren't ready. They, they weren't equipped. Or they thought they were equipped, but they were Philistines. Remember David and David and Goliath versus the Philistines. They were a mighty warrior people group. So in God's infinite wisdom and sovereign grace, he led his people the long way around through the wilderness toward an obstacle, a sea that was a barrier to the promised land. Now what in God's name was he thinking when God was doing this? And I believe there's two reasons that are in, not just in this text, but in the chapter that follows. Number one is this. Why would God do this? Because number one, to expose the hearts of his people. Because we read later on in, in chapter 14 that the Pharaoh starts coming and marching. And they come chasing after their former slaves. And it says in Exodus 14 verse 10, they feared greatly. And they cried out to the Lord. They said, what have you done, Moses? Why did you bring us out of Egypt so that we would die here? You see, Israel's exodus from Egypt wasn't the end of their experience was with God. It was actually a new beginning. God wanted to expose Something that was hidden and dormant for 400 years that was inside of them. I love what one author said. He said this. It took one night to take Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to take Egypt out of Israel. A living in fear. Not understanding the power, the greatness, the faithfulness, the kindness, the mercy of their God. But in order for God to teach them that, he had to expose the things that he wanted to address with his might, with his character, with his promises. So he exposes fear when he puts us in positions and places where we wouldn't otherwise admit that there is deep-seated fear, distrust, and a disbelief in God. Secondly, what, what did God have in mind by doing this? He, to expose the hearts of his people, and secondly, to demonstrate his power. You see, as they were going towards the Red Sea, they were kind of hemmed in. They were going towards an impassable obstacle, and they had an enemy chasing and charging hard after them. That's why in Exodus 13 through 18, and again, there's a frenzy, there's a fear, there's, they're crying out to, to Moses and God, what have you done? You brought us out of Egypt to die here in, in, this, in this desert? And in Exodus 14, 13 through, 9, 13 through 18, it says this. I'm just going to read a few verses. And Moses said to the people, fear not. 
Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord for which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, wow, you will never see again. The Lord, not you, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Brothers and sisters, friends, harvest. Before the Lord called Israel to do anything for him, God needed to to set the record straight that he will fight for them. And I think it's very similar to our Christian lives. Because once you get born again, once you get delivered, once you, you, you confess and trust in Christ, you're like this. Okay, God, what do you need me to do? I'll pray, I'll fast, I'll serve, I'll go, I'll do all these things. I think part of understanding and deepening our, 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 real gro- our appreciation for God and trusting in God is knowing what only God can do. Again, oftentimes Christian life is about what to do, but the gospel says before you know what to do and how to do it, you have to be grounded in what God has done and only God can So he wanted to show how he is almighty. He is worthy of trust, worthy obedience, worthy of their allegiance. He needed to demonstrate his power. And and many of us have, you know, the story where, again, um, (laughs) Moses prays and the sea is parted and there's dry land. They get across. And just as the last person gets across, the the chariots and and the soldiers and the Egyptian army were decimated in the Red Sea. The gospel is the good news of what God has already done for us so that we can live with hope, forgiveness, and freedom for him. God uses the wilderness to reveal himself to us. And he directs our paths, again, not the way, not in the time, not in the place, not in the person that we thought we wanted so that he can reveal what's really going on inside of us and also address that how only he can address, heal, forgive, and free us from it. He directs our paths to protect us, actually, from ourselves. Our greatest need is not deliverance from the desert, but a deeper dependence on the deliverer. Our greatest need is not deliverance from the desert, but a deeper dependence on the deliverer. Anne Voskamp, I just love her writing. My wife does especially. She says this. Listen carefully. Success to the world may look like independence, possessions, competition, and affluence. But success to God looks like thirsting for presence, daily repentance, relentless dependence, endless remembrance and outrageous outrageous obedience. He directs our paths to protect us from ourselves so that we can learn what's really going inside of us, going on, and also what is available that only he can offer through Christ alone. Secondly, the second way that God sustains us through seasons of wilderness is this. He delivers on his promises in his perfect timing. 
he delivers on his promises in his perfect timing. Now, verse 19 is where I, I base this idea from. Look with me. It's an odd. It's, it's, it's just, it doesn't seem like it fits in this passage. Yes, God is delivering them and leading them. Okay, it's a wilderness. It's a Red Sea. But what does bones of a dead person of for over 400 years have to do with it? Look with me in verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. In other words, God will surely come and hear your cries and deliver you, and, share, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. How does carrying some, someone's mummified body communicate God's faithfulness to his promises? You see, by taking the bones of Joseph, it was Israel's way of symbolizing and declaring that God delivers on all of his promises in his perfect And that's why they had to carry it, because it's easy for the Israelites, and it's easy for us to think that God should deliver his promises on our timing. But no, God delivers his promises in his perfect timing. That God keeps promises. He doesn't simply make it. He is unlike many of the people who have failed you. Uh, I remember um, doing premarital counseling for this couple. Again, I had the fortune of just, I didn't do their wedding, but I got to meet with them several times. And a beautiful couple, Grace and Jeff. And uh, we got into the topic of forgiveness. And I always ask couples this question, who, who's, who has a harder time asking for forgiveness? And uh, Grace admitted, me. And I asked her this question, why? Then she said, is it because I'm selfish? I go, no, 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 no. Jeff's selfish too. <laughs> I'm selfish. We're all selfish. It's because you're self-sufficient. Because when you ask for forgiveness, you're asking someone else to give you what you can't provide for yourself. I found the people who are the most self-sufficient are the ones who have been failed by someone they relied upon, and then they made a vow to themselves, never again, I'm going to control my own destiny. But that is antithetical to the gospel. It's just contrary to how God operates. Even though your mom, your best friend, maybe it's your sibling, it's your dad, they didn't deliver. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to humbly and joyfully remind you that this is another instance of many instances in the Bible where God always delivers on his promises. But because he's God, he does it in his perfect timing. And they needed to learn that. In order to be the people of God, you have to trust in the timing of God. Let me say that again. In order to be the people of God, you have to trust in the timing of God, that God never forgets a promise that he makes because he always delivers it on his timeline, which is for our good and ultimately for his glory. Have you been facing, once again, disappointment, discouraging, discouragement, feeling defeated in your faith because God has not simply been answering your prayers and fulfilling your longings 
in your timing. Let me just ask us just to pause for a minute and look at Jesus. May the coming of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus remind, comfort, and encourage us that God does not forget, he does not waver, he does not fail to make good on all of his promises. So hopefully that's an encouragement when you hear about these bones, that God has bones that he will deliver for you. You see, may we press on in our spiritual journey, especially in seasons of wilderness and dryness and darkness, by relying upon Christ's enabling grace and looking to Christ's example. You see, Jesus began his ministry in the wilderness. If there's anybody who understands wilderness, it's Jesus. And he had to not just go, he had to go alone and he had to go one-on-one with the enemy, overcome and face temptation. He waited 30 years to fulfill his mission. And it took him three years before he actually was able to to complete his mission on earth, which is die for the sins of the world, for you and for me. So he was always, he see, he was waited 30 years and another three years. And then he fulfilled his mission by enduring the most unspeakable, indescribable, unquantifiable wilderness on the cross for you and for me. He knows wilderness because he went to the cross. Therefore, he knows how to walk with you and beside you and lead you in your wilderness too. You see, because Christ faced, overcame the greatest and the deepest wilderness on the cross, we can cling to hope and the truth of his redemption, acceptance, and power. Uh, one author, Scott Sauls, he says this, and I think this is a good like reality check, like an attitude check for Christians, and I need to hear this all the time. He said this, Christian, listen up, please. Yours and mine, if you're born again, if you're a, a, a member of Christ's family by his blood and by his grace, our long-term worst case scenario is resurrection and eternal life. The worst your life can lead you as a child, beloved, bought, and purchased by God, the worst that can happen to us is resurrection and eternal life with Christ. He delivers. He always delivers. But it has to be in his timing, in his sovereign wisdom. The people of God have to trust in the timing of God in order to grow in Christ. Thirdly and lastly, this is a shorter message, hopefully more time for response. Number one, again, he directs our paths to protect us from ourselves. He knows what we'd be like if we're left to ourselves, to our own devices, if we got our way in our time in our lives. Number two, he delivers on his promises in his perfect timing because he knows that his timing is always perfect, even if there's delay and disappointment. And thirdly, he dwells within us and leads us by his presence. He dwells within us by his spirit and leads us by his 
own very presence. And that's why verses 20 to 22 are so reassuring here. Even though they're facing the Red Sea, they're going to enter into the wilderness, his presence will be with them. And they moved on from Succoth. It says in verse 20, look there with me. And a minor detail, but I think it says a lot about the human condition. They encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Why is that important that they encamped at Etham? Here's why. It's at the edge of the wilderness. Literally, it's the edge of the wilderness. <laughs> they, know, they see where the pillar and the fire is going, but they said, hold on, time out, time out, time out, time out. Wait a second. I didn't leave slavery to go into the wilderness. And God said, oh, well, the difference with slavery in the wilderness is I am with you and I go before you into the wilderness. And I dwell by my presence. As they prepare to go into the unknown, the wilderness, God provides their greatest needs at that time. Which is what? What is their greatest need in the wilderness? It's his presence. Right now in your wilderness, your greatest need is not a man-made, human-made solution. It's the very presence of God. And look what it says, and I love it. It's a subtle uh, detail, but it's so significant. Look with me, it's, it's in verse 21. The Lord went before them, and he led them. And it says in verse 20, 22, did not depart from the people. Hmm. Max Lucado, an author and pastor, he says this, God never sends you where he already hasn't been. In other words, he doesn't send us and say, good luck. Tell me if you get there. Text me when you arrive. But because you are bought, you are marked by the blood of Christ as belonging to him his beloved, with whom he is well pleased. He will lead you, and he will be with you. And I think this is so important, because I think a lot of Christians, based on their circumstances and their feelings, they believe what is not true. They believe that he has left them. And I believe one of the most precious promises that Christ ever gave his disciples is this. And I will be with you, and I will never forsake you. never leave. I'm here to remind all of us as we hopefully renew our dependence and our joy and our trust in Christ, no matter what we're facing, that there is someone who promises to never leave you. And that's what the pillars represent. And ultimately, that's what his Holy Spirit not just represents, but is indwelling within our lives because of Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. As you make, and I can't tell you how much this means to me as a parent. Uh, you know, when I think about my girls, uh, I'm at the age or at the stage of life my girls, I haven't, uh, my, my youngest is in, she's in eighth grade, so she's about on the verge of high school. My oldest is in 10th grade. And I'm at the age, and some of you or have already passed this stage of parenting, but I'm at the at stage where I'm counting down. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're a new parent, you count up like 
12 months, 16 months, two years, three years. You know, ask a kid how old they are. You know, they don't talk about, oh, ask, don't ask a four-year-old, how old are you? I'm only, I'm only 14 years away from graduating. I'm four years old. They're counting up. I'm counting down. That's the shift in my parenting right now. I'm counting down. I have three years left with Olivia before she doesn't live under my house or my roof for the majority of the time when she goes off to school, God willing. I have five years left of my Natalie before, again, she's not under my a physical and, and my, my, my home protection and, 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 and my kind of oversight when she goes off as a young adult. And I can't tell you, parents, as that reality sinks in, my greatest prayer is that they come to know and love the one who will never leave them nor forsake them. Because I can't be there. I can't. That's, that's, that's weird. I cannot go to college with them. That's weird. They wouldn't go to college then. <laughs> You're coming with me to college? I'm not going to college. So everybody, at some point, needs someone to rely upon besides those who were reliable up to that point. And as a parent, my God, my God, I hope my girls know that there's a God who knows them, loves them, sees them, is there for them when mom and dad can't. Parents, I can't stress enough to pray for your kids, encourage your kids, hopefully not just to come to church, which is a powerful instrument of, 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 of demonstrating gospel and demonstrating grace and human relationships, but pray and do all that you can humanly do, but also supernaturally do through prayer, is pray that God would get a hold of their hearts so that when mom and dad are not there, that they will know there is a God who is and will never leave them. That wherever they go in the wildernesses of their life, they're not alone. And so that's my prayer. Jesus, would you make yourself known to them so that they will cling to you more than me? Because God, you will never send my girls somewhere you already haven't been Brothers and sisters, as I close here, as you make your journey in life, wherever you are in life, in your teens, in your 20s, in your 30s, 40s, and beyond. I'm sorry for the 50s who felt like they're in the beyond category, okay? I'm almost there, but it's a glorious, I can't wait to be in the beyond category myself. I'm just a couple years away. As you make your journey in life, be reminded that if you are a child of the living God, redeemed by the gospel, you are not alone. We are not orphans, as Jesus said. And there's one young lady, I, I preached this message a couple of years ago, and she messaged me or emailed me, and she said, you don't realize, Pastor Sam, how much that one statement meant to me. And I didn't realize until she emailed me, she said, I was adopted. And I haven't told many people. And as someone who's adopted, I've wondered, where do I really belong? I felt abandoned by my parents at one point. But you reminded me someone has never abandoned me and never will. Because he dwells within her 
and leads her by his presence. He lives within you, brothers and sisters. That's the beauty and the power and the glory of the gospel. The purpose and the goal of his presence, as I wrap up, is this. The purpose and the goal of God's presence is to lead you deeper into his presence. So that you would lean on him, depend on him, trust him, know him, and press on towards knowing the high calling of Christ. Often, I would dare say, it happens in the context of the wilderness. Michael Card, a well-known uh, songwriter, uh, Christian artist, and now more of an author lately, he writes these words. Some of the most beautiful I think I've come across from his writings. He says this, listen carefully. True worship begins in the wilderness. Praise is always, almost always. Always the answer to a plea that arises in the desert. There is no worship without wilderness. There can be no worshipful joy of salvation until we have realized the lamentable wilderness of which we were saved from. And until we begin to understand what it cost Jesus to come and to find us and to be that perfect provision in the wilderness. There is no worship without wilderness. Let me close with a story from my own life. That um, I, sh I shared this last night, if you were here in the introduction, about a little bit of a pilgrimage. I took an a unplanned pilgrimage, and again, last night, if you're here, you can listen again. I, I took a pilgrimage through all the schools, homes, and churches that I, I lived in from the time we immigrated to the States when I was four until I uh, went off to college uh, at 17, 18. But it was about, hmm, it was around the same year. Uh, or a couple years after that, in 2011, I went to, my best friend lives in New York. He's a public school teacher and an educator. And so when you visit a teacher during school, uh, he, does, he has no ha time to hang out with you. He, <laughs> come visit me. Uh, okay, but you're at work all day. <laughs> so I was visiting my buddy John. And when I visited, I wanted to go visit his school, the neighborhood. It's in a, in a neighborhood called Astoria um, in, in, uh, in, in New York. And I was like, Astoria, huh, that rings a bell. You see, my dad, he was, he was, he retired as a Methodist pastor after 40 years. But there was a time in his life that he served at two different churches on the same, on the same day. Uh, so he, he served and preached at one church in the morning, which is an up, up in uh, North Jersey called Morristown. And then we as a family would go all the way to Flushing, to Astoria in, in New York City. The same day, we went to two churches where he would minister in the afternoon and evenings. I was like, wait a second. I remember when I was in about maybe about fifth or sixth grade, uh, we attended a church in Astoria. And I did a little Google Maps search, and I was like, wow, my, my, friend's, my friend John's school is only about maybe half a mile from this church that I attended in fifth and sixth grade. And as I walked towards it, because my buddy was working, as I walked towards the building, not a foreign memory, 
but a memory that I had, I still have vividly today, came rushing to the front of my mind. Again, uh, my parents, I think they did the best they could. I really do. Immigrated, you know, in their, in their 30s, trying to hold down uh, a couple of jobs, raise kids. My dad served in two different churches. On one particular fall day, I believe it was a November, I remember, again, uh, the city, if you grew up in the city, the churches, you know, they're just, and they're just part of a block. You'll see a church right on the block. There isn't kind of like all this land and huge parking lots. And I remember one Sunday after church, me and my brother and some of our friends were just around the block, not too far, playing after service. And we lost track of time. And then we, uh, we came back to the church. The parking lot, the small one, was empty. We walked up to the church doors. We're in fifth grade. I'm about fifth grade. He's probably, he's two grades younger. He's about third grade. And in the city, they don't just lock the doors of a church. They chain them. <laughs> they chain them. Yeah, I was like, whoa, whoa. And the doors are locked. They're chained. I walked around every entrance. No sign of people, no sign of my parents. And I... This is, this is like in the, the 80s, okay? No one had a cell phone. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> I, didn't get on my, I didn't get on my Samsung or my iPhone and text and FaceTime my parents. What the heck? Where the heck are they? My parents forgot me. And my brother. It's one thing to forget one kid. You forgot both. <laughs> they took my sister because she was really young. I'm glad they got one out of three. But what the heck? Who leaves their children outside in the city on a fall day? So I remember sitting, my brother and I sitting on the steps of this church, waiting. And then I don't know how long, you know, I I don't know because, again, I didn't have a watch. I didn't have a smartphone. But it just they, they, they arrived eventually. And I could tell they felt horrible. You could t- see it in their eyes. And I know my mom was sincere because the first thing she said is, Sungbum, can I take you to Burger King? <laughs> and you know I was mad when I said no. She couldn't bribe me with Burger King. Got in the car. We went home. I still remember that day. I still remember what it felt like to sit on that concrete step, and it was the fall. Okay? I'm not going to sensationalize that there was a blizzard or anything like that, okay? But it was cold, but again, there was just uncertainty. You felt left behind and forgotten. And so as, okay, now fast forward to 2011, as I'm approaching that step, literally, I see, wow, that's the step. That's the step my brother and I waited for my parents who forgot us. And I don't know what led me to say this or to think this and to kind of really reflect on this. But for some reason, there was, I was just, I was just overwhelmed with gratitude. And the gratitude was, God, in my own simple way, thank you that this didn't define my relationship with you. that this wasn't what kept me from you. 
or kept me resenting my parents probably even more than I probably carried through my adolescent years for a variety of reasons. But thank God this didn't define your and my relationship because this could have this done me in. My dad and mom serving God and they forget their own flesh and blood. What kind of God allows that? It's a God who delivers on his promises in his timing. Even though I didn't know him personally, I think by his grace he was with me and my brother. And he didn't let the wilderness define him, define, uh, define my relationship with him. He allowed the cross and the wilderness that Jesus took to define my relationship with him. Brothers and sisters, as I close, the Lord, I want to just humbly submit to you, the Lord has and is lovingly and sovereignly leading us into and through valleys and deserts of life so that you and I would know his unrelenting grace we would humbly repent of any idol, again, that's within us that only the wilderness can bring out forth so that he can address it, he can, he can speak to it, and he can heal it, and he can free us with it, free us from it by the power of his spirit. And also that we can find our rest and joy in knowing that Christ is with us and for us and will never leave us nor forsake us. Therefore, there is nothing that Christ calls you and I to do or to go or the price to pay that is too high because God never sends us where he hasn't been already. Amen? Let me pray for us as we close but also continue as we close this but hopefully keep our hearts open to a time of responding of speaking to God, and maybe even offering our wilderness past and present to him. So let's pray, brothers and sisters, and I'll have your pastor, my brother, lead us in a time of response as well. God, I thank you so much that this 10-year-old uh, um, boy, even though I didn't know you, I knew, again, I was around you, I was around church, I was around Christians, I didn't know you, but you knew me. That even in the one of the scariest and loneliest times that I can still remember, you were there. And you have been there every step of the way of my life. You have been so, so good, so faithful, even when others haven't, and especially when I haven't been to you. That you are the God of the hills, the valleys, the wilderness, the deserts, the darkness, the light. You are God yesterday, today, forever, never changing. I pray for brothers and sisters here who hold a wilderness against you. God, would you help them to see that you are the God of the wilderness who went and took the wilderness on the cross. Wilderness, capital W, on the cross for each of us. So there is no wilderness that we can offer to you, that we can, we can present to you, that we ask you to, again, not just to deliver us from, but to meet us within, that you're not aware of, that you don't care about, and you're not capable of being with us, revealing yourself to us, and lovingly, humbly, and gently lead us into and through 
so the wilderness inside of us can be addressed by your grace and your mercy. So I pray for every brother here, young and old, young to the faith, those who are on the fence, those who have, taken a, have stepped away or who have tried to step away, but hopefully tonight they're reminded that even when they step away, they're running into you because you never send them where you haven't been already. So God, would you lead our response, a time of maybe confession, a, a time of mm, declaration, a, a, a time of declaring our trust and dependence on you, even though our circumstances don't change tonight. But thank you that even though our circumstances don't change, our Christ never changes. And that's what's going to help us in the midst of every circumstance. So we give ourselves to you. Lead us in our response. Make it be something that it will be sealed. It will be something personal and real, tangible, that it really makes a difference from the inside out as we pray, as we respond, as we listen, as we receive. Once again, believe that you are who you say you are, and you are God who always delivers on your promises in your perfect timing. And it's in Christ's name I pray.